Welcome back to the Price Plow Podcast. This is Mike, the founder of Price Plow. And so this episode was actually filmed on YouTube on Skype, November 29th or so of 2016. And it was with my former roommate from college, Nick Jingo of the Renner Auto Intellectual Property Law Firm. What we were talking about was the bodybuilding.com versus Jim Stepani lawsuit that was going on over the trademark dispute over the brand Jim, J-Y-M. Now, this lawsuit has since been settled, but I think it's still important to put this up on our audio podcast feed because there's a few really good lessons learned here. And overall, the most important lesson is that if you're getting into a business agreement of any sort, then get a good contract. What you're going to find here is that basically for being such a large company, bodybuilding.com and Jim Stepani entered into a very ambiguous and simply terrible contract here. And any lawyer worth their salt would not have allowed this to happen. So in the end, things did get settled and that settlement is not public, but it does seem that uh, the settlement was a bit of a loser for both of them really because they really had a good thing going and sometimes you don't want to tinker with a good relationship. And I think both parties thought they could do better and neither of them did. So either way, folks, wrap it up. And by that, I mean, get a good contract lawyer. Hope you enjoy. Hope you learned a couple things. If you need an intellectual property law firm, especially in Ohio, Nick Jingo of Renner Auto Law is the man to talk to. And here he is. Welcome to Price Plow. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Mike with PriceFile.com, and I have a very special feature here today. With me is IP attorney Nick Jingo, uh, a man who I've known since we were 18 years old, actually. And um, we are going to talk about the Bodybuilding.com versus Jim Stepani lawsuit that's been going on where GNC later got added in. And so the last video I uh, created was in my kitchen where I was talking about the case and I was kind of doing a little bit of armchair patent attorney kind of stuff where... Um, where we talked about, hey, if GNC does get pulled into this lawsuit, it's going to be very big. And that indeed did happen. At that point, I figured it was time to actually bring in uh, someone who specializes in this. And uh, Nick here can, can introduce himself and everything, but he really uh, pulled up some amazing information out of this case that we didn't find. And so we're going to discuss that and talk about uh, where we see the, the, the Bodybuilding.com versus Jim Stepani case heading and why you know certain things are happening and how maybe this could have been prevented. So Nick, welcome to the Price by YouTube channel. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, Welcome so forward. can you, uh, first off, give us a little bit of background about yourself, uh, your law firm, all that stuff, and, and what you do kind of on a more day-to-day, week-to-week kind of basis. Sure, uh, I'm an IP attorney, like you said, intellectual property. I practice at a IP boutique firm in good old Cleveland, Ohio. Awesome. Um, been here since I graduated law school, so seven, eight years now. Mm-hmm. Um, my practice focuses mostly on nowadays on trademarks, uh, some design patents. I also do utility patent prosecution in the material science area, but that's a pretty small part of what I do. Mm-hmm. The vast majority is trademarks, which is why this stuff's particularly interesting to me. Uh, my firm as a whole does mostly utility patent uh, prosecution. But we do have a litigation group, um, which is also something that I did quite a bit when I first graduated from law school. Uh, about five years, I did pretty much straight up patent and trademark litigation. So I think that background, uh, given that and, and the fact that I do a lot of trademark work now, it makes this stuff pretty interesting. So Right. And it also seemed like, like there could actually 
be damages tied to things, which it doesn't seem like this is normal for an IP kind of trademark infringement kind of case. So yeah, damages are a lot generally a lot bigger deal in in patent cases. Mm -hmm. uh, right. But trademarks usually the parties are looking for uh, an injunction to, uh, just to get the other side to stop. Um, generally, and generally it's pretty clear that somebody's either trying to trade off somebody else's mark with a slightly different mark or uh, or a rip, straight up ripping them off. Mm -hmm. Here, the, the parties know each other, I think, is is probably a reason why damages are more of an issue. Um, the intent, that type of stuff, really allows parties to try and multiply their damages, which makes it worthwhile to try and prove damages. Gotcha. Trademark damages are hard to show. You mm -hmm. have enough higher experts, there's a lot of uh, discovery in the sales and things like that, but when it's worth it, parties will go after it. So. Right, and as we saw from, and so I'm gonna stop right here. Everything we talked to, all the PDFs we're gonna reference are going to be on a blog post that I'll link to in this YouTube video. And so uh, make sure you check those because there's, there's a few different PDFs we're going to discuss, including the development agreement that Nick found. And so um, this is all publicly available information. So um, obviously we've already posted some of the sales numbers and everything, and they nearly made, it made almost $95 million in revenue over the course of three years. So, and the gym brand, uh, be whatever whatever we want to call the gym brand, because it's currently being sold, sold at two stores, which is very, you know, unheard of almost. Um, it's still selling well. So there is clearly a lot of monetary uh, distress kind of going on. And so that's why this has been such, such a hot thing here. Yeah, and the, kind of the other thing that's floating around here, at least from a legal perspective, is that um, there's been a bunch of cases lately where, trademark cases, mm -hmm. where parties were able to collect damages based on um, the cost of corrective advertising, mm -hmm. uh, which can actually get pretty high. What do you mean by corrective advertising? So a, the, a party that is found to uh, have had their trademark infringed can uh, force the other side to pay for the cost of advertising to fix the market, basically, to make people realize that, in fact, oh. they are the true owner of the mark. So whoever wins here, be it Stepani, PhD, or, or bodybuilding, could potentially force the other side to pay the cost of making everyone understand who actually owns this stuff. It's, it hasn't been pled. I'm actually kind of surprised it's not in the pleadings as a potential uh, damages remedy, but it, it could still come come into play. Right, it seems like, yeah, these the cases are kind of being updated over time, like just how bodybuilding yeah. added GNC to the case right. for damages exceeding 100 million, so. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of lawyering going on right now, that's for sure. Gotcha, and so yeah, so you, yeah, looking through the, the history, is that, is it more lawyering than normal that you see here? Is this a pretty no, active case? No, looks or? about right. Okay. I mean, I think there's, I think you can kind of, or well, I guess I, I can kind of tell <laughs> that it seems like it's gonna focus in on this, this issue of ownership of the marks, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of, trademarks in general are always kind of gray, there's a lot of gray area. Uh, there's federal trademarks, there's state trademarks, there's consumer confusion, false mm -hmm. advertising claims that, that all sound a lot like trademarks, but at the end of the day are a little bit different. And so a lot of this, I think, is just the attorneys and parties trying to flesh out all the different theories that they threw out there at the beginning of this thing. Um, but it seems like, uh, you know, ownership in particular is going to end up being a, a very big issue here. And, that, and that's what most of the briefing's been about. There's, the, there's been a uh, motion to dismiss filed by bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. uh, 
regard to Stepani's counterclaims uh, of uh, trademark infringement. And that basically they're arguing about who owns these marks and kind of relatedly who who has licenses to these marks. Um, that's And I think that's where that JD, the, the joint development agreement that I, I pulled up and sent to you earlier. Right. And so, yeah, we'll share that. We're going to dig into that pretty in depth here. So uh, can you kind of give me the 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 bullet points of this case, kind of uh, yeah. what you, the, the way you interpret it, and then and then we can kind of jam on these different documents and see uh, why things are the way they are and why you know where it may go. Sure. Yeah. Um, actually, before I go too much further, yeah, let please me do. let me give my my standard disclaimer <laughs> that the opinions mm -hmm. uh, I'm expressing in this video are my own, not those of my firm. Um, nothing on the video should be construed as legal advice or as creating any attorney-client relationship. Um, as one of my mentors used to say, if it was legal advice, you'd be getting a bill. <laughs> right. So that's uh, just so everybody's clear on that. Um, and we so, are not paying you either. There's uh, me, no. This no. is just uh, you know me and you jamming. Um, so basic facts uh, based on what I saw in the file and kind of what I've seen in the news, um, including on the, the blog. Uh, around 2013, Stepani, Jim Stepani and PhD Fitness uh, were working with bodybuilding.com to come up with uh, this gym brand. Um, they signed a development agreement, um, which I'll sometimes I'll probably refer to it as a JDA, that's short for Joint Development Agreement. Mm -hmm. uh, where they agreed to work on formulas, they agreed to work on the products themselves. They also agreed to work on uh, branding, marketing stuff. So like the, the actual names of the products, the the packaging of the products, how the packages would look, colors, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, everything seemed to be going okay. Uh, according to the pleadings in early this year, 2016, right. um, Stepani and PhD started sending letters to bodybuilding.com disputing ownership of the marks, uh, basically saying that they, PhD, Stepani, own the marks and that bodybuilding.com should be prepared to stop using the marks once the agreement expired. Um, I think there was a couple of letters back and forth, and I, I guess probably maybe more than just letters, but eventually in June, bodybuilding actually took the step of filing for a, what's called a declaratory judgment. Um, they actually, so bodybuilding.com is the plaintiff in this case even though Stepani and PhD are actually the, well, the alleged trademark owners here, bodybuilding.com is asking the court to declare that uh, they don't, uh, that they, that, bod that bodybuilding owns the trademarks and that uh, PhD Stepani do not. Um, Stepani countersued for infringement um, and then bodybuilding recently added, like you said, added GNC and, and I think some other retailers or at least some Doe, John Doe's, mm -hmm. Doe, which is kind of a placeholder, um, probably just to act for leverage purposes. Um, hmm. I, I'm guessing, and I'm guessing that uh, bodybuilding's lawyers probably assume that uh, Stepani and PhD have some sort of uh, um, agreement with GNC where they'll indemnify mm -hmm. them if, if they get into trouble from for an IP perspective. So, and that's typically from what I hear. I've not obviously I've not seen the GNC Stepani agreement. I assume there is one, but I have heard from many different brands who have said, yeah, typically GNC is indemnified. And so what yeah. you're saying is Bodybuilding.com is trying is adding GNC because then GNC could then put pressure on Stepani to kind of settle or something along those lines. Two, on two levels, yeah. I mean, on, the, on, on a basic kind of business, business to business 
perspective, you've got probably have people at GNC who are annoyed at a minimum that they're involved in a lawsuit now. Of course. That are potentially, you know, pressuring Stepani PhD to do something about this. And I guess, and on, a, on another level, adding GNC adds a whole other uh, level of damages to the thing because mm-hmm. now you've got sales by GNC to, to third parties um, as opposed to sales from uh, Stepani PhD to GNC. So you've got that the added markup, the added the added revenue, mm-hmm. which adds to the potential damages, which is the ultimate threat that you kind of use to for settlement at a minimum. So I think there's there's probably it's it's two pronged really. Gotcha, good stuff. So rewinding a little bit um, to when originally Stepani sent the original letter saying, "Hey, we're going to use this this trademark as ours or whatever." Was that kind of normal? Is that is ever was everything? I mean. It, yeah, would you consider that to have been a, a normal thing that would happen there? Or was it kind of well, like this development agreement was kind of vague about it, so maybe that was why? Yeah, I, I, th- I mean, typically a joint development agreement that's limited in time like this one was, mm-hmm. I mean, this said it was going to end, I think, in three years with maybe one year, another additional year optional. <clears throat> but it was pretty vague as to who would own what at the end of that three- or four-year period, and mm-hmm. I think... I think because it was so vague, Stepani and or PhD were kind of in a position where they had to stake a claim. Somebody had to stake a claim here because mm-hmm. there's a lot of money involved. These products are selling well. Right. Once this thing ends, it's kind of the wild west. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Maybe the hope was you get some sort of agreement from uh, uh, bodybuilding.com, you know, like a continued license or, or yeah, we'll stop. Um, but obviously it didn't work out that way but yeah I, I think it was kind of a function of the the the, the vagueness of the jda mm-hmm. they kind of had to do this i, I mean like obviously they could have done it in a different way i i don't know you know right i know you tend to not send letters if we don't have to it's usually more phone calls and i'm sure maybe there were phone calls too i think eventually if those didn't work out then you send the letters more to, mm-hmm. to everything gotcha okay so so that's kind of where we are now where I guess, what are the other, are there any other facts of the case you wanted to mention? Any other uh, kind of bullet no, points? I mean, nothing really. I mean, I think, you know, like I said earlier, I think the, really the key issue is going to be ownership of these marks. I mean, I think, I think that's, that's what sparked it in the first place. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's why Stepani and PhD sent the letters. I think that's why, frankly, that's why bodybuilding put their foot down and filed the, de- the declaratory judgment, the DJ. So, so can you tell me um, in in your words, like what defines ownership of a mark then, like in America, or maybe you might only be able to speak to Ohio in this, but I think that's a more I, of a federal thing. I can speak to federal trademark law. I mean, there are state trademark laws too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they generally look similar, um, at least with respect to federal trademarks. Ownership of the mark is the the goes to the person who uses the mark. Um, it's not like a patent where you have an inventor necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess at its most basic, you know, a trademark uh, is a source identifier for goods. It can be a word. It could be, it could be product packaging, like the way the product looks. And you can see that in some of these pleadings. That's part of the argument. Is it isn't just Jim J Y M. They're they're arguing about the uh, the diamond plate look, I think, and some colors. Um, all those things separately can be trademarks. Uh, but ownership really vests in using the mark in commerce. So in interstate commerce. So in association with goods being offered for sale or, or services, but in this case it's goods. So mm-hmm. it's really who, 
who was using the mark on products being sold to consumers first. And, and that's kind of the generic common law way you determine ownership. I mean, the reality is if you look at the agreement, mm -hmm. it seems fairly clear that the parties agreed that, that uh, Stepani and PhD actually do own them own the IP. Right, so that's the that's kind of like the big reveal that we're, we're teaching yeah. here. Because everyone's been saying, myself included, hey, America is a first to use kind of country, correct? And mm -hmm. so it seems like bodybuilding.com was first to use this, first to put it in commerce. It seems like they were the ones who, you know, published the webpage and, and paid for the design, came up with the design possibly if, you know, everything is, is true. But you're saying that this agreement though, like where exactly, I don't know if you have it open or whatever, but like where could we like see in the, the agreement where you're starting to think that there's hints that Stepani might, might own it? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the agreement, well, so I guess to take a step back, you know, okay. first you, you're, you're right about first use, you know, use is the key, um, but, but use on behalf of another, of a third party can use a mark on behalf of the trademark owner. Um, you know, I mean, you could have a little, you know, Joe Joe Blow plumber guy mm -hmm. up with a, a trademark and 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 files for it and and licenses it licenses it to a company to use for sale with products, and in that license they agree that everything's gonna the, the language is inured to his benefit. So he's still considered the owner. He's not he's not using it. So other companies using it on his behalf, and that's kind of what you have here. I mean, you've got I'm looking at section, you know. Section three three talks about packaging. Mm -hmm. You know, bodybuilding.com's developing this packaging. Final approval will be their sole responsibility. Mm -hmm. They may use the trade names. Um, company, which is PhD Stepani, grants bodybuilding.com the exclusive right and consent to use the trademarks. Um, on the other hand, there's I think it's section eleven. There's an, there's a, and this is kind of the issue. We talked about this a little bit before. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's lots of sections of this agreement that talk about IP in different ways and don't do a great job of defining it, which is which is why they're in court, frankly. Right. So so normally, if you being being the best IP attorney on the planet, if you had written this this kind of JDA, you would have stated, "Here's the owner of this IP," or here like you want to be really, I mean, really clear. Certainly more clear than this about what what is the IP. I mean, what what are the marks? Mm -hmm. You know. And I mean, and you use the standard language about you know this word mark, this design, really define those things as much as you can. Talk about what you know what the IP is, what the marks are, and then be very clear on who owns the marks, who's being licensed to use the marks, how they're being licensed. You know, is it exclusive, non-exclusive? How long? Mm -hmm. In time? Where? In geographic scope? Um, and then and then again, when it ends. I mean, I, I think that's part of the issue is. You know, and we'll talk about it a little more. Some of these clauses are said to end with the agreement. Some mm -hmm. of these clauses are said to not end with the agreement. <laughs> yeah. Some of the clauses, and some of those, both you know, some that end and some that don't, both deal with IP. So it's kind of unclear as to which ones still fly, and 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 it actually ends up falling back on contract law, which is not where you want to be because contract law is old as the hills and really gray. So I mean, you, you could be a lot more clear. I found that, by the way, section eight. Right. It actually talks about IP. The heading is IP, intellectual property. Yeah, so I'm on page. So for the um, viewers following along, if you are have the PDF open, it is the PDF page four. Um, yeah. But on the top it says page five of 17. But anyway, you're looking for point eight intellectual property underlined, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. 
And yeah, so, and, and, and even this is kind of sketchy. 8.1 says bodybuilding.com shall own and have all rights of ownership to labels and advertising materials for products. That's bodybuilding.com's intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Company and Stepani retain IP rights to, as to formulas for products. Uh, company, Stepani, and bodybuilding shall jointly own formulas they jointly develop. So that it's kind of parsing out a, you know, the, the different uh, ownerships. But then 8.2 talks, and this is kind of the, the crux of, I think, the argument. is 8.2 says, company, that's that's PhD, mm-hmm. companies shall own and have all rights of ownership to trademarks and trade names provided by company for use with products. Company grants bodybuilding.com a royalty-free worldwide right to use company's intellectual property for products. And if you look later in the agreement at section 20, that specifically says that amongst other sections, section 8 shall survive termination or expiration of the agreement. So Wow. Arguably, and, and this is I, this is bodybuilding.com's argument is look, whether or not bodybuilding.com owns this, at a minimum, it seems like they're licensed to use these trademarks and that that license is royalty free, so it's free. They don't have to paste upon anything. It's worldwide and it's perpetual. I mean, it, it didn't end with the, wow. the development agreement. Now, that's that's crazy. I mean, that's a that's a really license. I mean, yeah. that's not. That's not typical, and that, and frankly, that's Stepani's counter argument, is that it's not that's that can't be, that can't be the way this thing works because that would be ridiculous. Why would why would anybody sign a JDA that says that once it's over, the other party gets to use the trademarks forever, everywhere for free? I get you. Okay, so um, now getting back to eight point one, the yeah. company uh, agrees to assist. Where is it? Agrees to assist. You're talking about no, okay. Well, I was in a, I was looking at one part where company shall okay maybe it's eight point two. Company shall own and have all rights of ownership to trademarks and trade names provided by company, which is PhD, mm-hmm. for use of the products. The 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 brand Jim itself never fully got trademarked though. Like he he later on trademarked Jim Supplement Science. So is it possible that you know eight point two doesn't mean anything because there was no uh, trademark to control out of 8.2? Does that make any sense? That makes sense. Um, I guess the thing to focus on would be that trademark, so you don't trademark. Trademarking is kind of a misnomer. There's a registration. You can register a trademark Mm -hmm. at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, and you can get a federal trademark registration. Mm -hmm. But a trademark can actually exist completely separately from the existence of a federal trademark registration. And this gets back to what we talked about earlier. A trademark actually start comes into existence as soon as you start using it as a trademark. I mean, if I walk out tomorrow and sell a hat or you know a, 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 a candy bar with with some some name on it, mm-hmm. that I immediately I now have a trademark in that mark. I have trademark rights, um, and so this this section eight point two is actually vague enough that it's I think it. it Arguably, it's covering federal trademark registrations, but also marks that are just uh, have arisen through common law, through, through just use. Um, so that I think that first sentence of 8.2 makes it pretty clear that ownership sits, stays with stays hmm. with uh, PhD. Now, the one thing that I just noticed actually is that it does talk about 
all rights of ownership to trademarks and trade names provided by company. Um, right. Interesting, because this whole thing. <laughs> Did he provide it? Development agreement. I mean, what about things that were developed jointly between the two parties? Mm -hmm. I mean, so maybe, maybe Jim JYM came from body or came from PhD, but maybe the look of the packaging came from. Uh, bodybuilding which it seems like they did the original design work per the right. affidavits if which, they're true which would mean that maybe it doesn't that doesn't fall under 8.2 um, which <laughs> is the royalty free worldwide right section um, so that, I mean that's another I think that's going to be and I think I think that's an argument that uh, Stepani makes in his in his uh, motion or in his response, so so what happened was, uh, bodybuilding.com filed. Mm -hmm. Stepani answered, and in his answer, he asserted a counterclaim of trademark infringement, amongst other things. Uh, at that point, bodybuilding.com filed a, a motion to dismiss that counterclaim, and in the motion to dismiss the counterclaim was when bodybuilding.com pointed to this JDA, and said. No, this this counterclaim of trademark infringement is ridiculous. We own it, but even if we don't own it, at a minimum, we're licensed to it, and so we can't be infringing a trademark that we have a license to. I see. And so that's where this that's where this thing came up, and, and then Sapani has actually filed a response to that motion, and in that response, he's made a couple arguments. One is that kind of absurd result argument that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. That essentially. Look, this is this is basic contract law. You got to look at the agreement as a whole, uh, and if you look at it as as a whole, you wouldn't interpret it to be so one-sided. Um, you know, of course, it'd be ridiculous for somebody to agree to something like that. So it should it can't be that way. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, he, he, but another argument that he made was that 8.2 talks about uh, trademarks and trade names provided by the company, and that maybe some of these things w weren't provided by the company, and therefore don't fall under 8.2 and may not be subject to this perpetual worldwide license that that uh, bodybuilding is pointing out. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> so if this, uh, do you, uh, let me, if this were to go to court and I'm, I would like to maybe get your opinion, if you think this will sell or not, or maybe you just don't know the parties enough to answer that. But if this were to go to court, it seems like bullet point or the section eight intellectual property is going to be greatly discussed in court. Is that, is that true? Yeah, like, I, would think, I mean, that seems like it's probably the key. I mean, 8.2 in combination with 20 is certainly seems bad for uh, Stepani PhD. I mean, you think I, it seems bad for Stepani and PhD? Yes. Okay. Because I, 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 th I think kind of first blush read, it certainly seems like they own this stuff, but they granted this massive license to uh, bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. And so... At that point, even if they own it, it's kind of a hollow win. I mean, yeah, you own it, but you can't stop them from, you can't, you, Stepani, PhD, can't stop bodybuilding from using it. I gotcha. the decision. But okay, and if that were the decision, um, does that mean GNC can still use it then? And then we have this dual brand, well, dual store kind of thing going on. Yeah, so the, the other, Maybe not, not necessarily. <laughs> Here's why. It's a mess, isn't it? This is insane. Because 8.2 says that it's a royalty-free worldwide right to use, but it's, it doesn't say anything about whether or not it's an exclusive right to use. There's another section 
of this thing, and I, I wrote down, I think it's 3.3, if you go up to 3.3, section 3.3. Okay, yeah, back up to page 3.3, talks about packaging. packaging. It says, in the second to last sentence, it says, company, PhD, mm -hmm. grants bodybuilding.com the exclusive right and consent to use the trademarks oh. by company or co-developed with bodybuilding.com subject to the terms of this agreement. Is that so, surviving? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, if you go back to section 20, section three is not one of the <laughs> surviving sections of the agreement. So. I think maybe Stepani's best argument would be no, you know, everything we're talking about here doesn't fall under 8.2, it falls under 3.3. It was exclusive while this thing was in existence, but that's gone now. Mm -hmm. And if, if it's completely gone, now all of a sudden we're back to Stepani owns this stuff, bodybuilding's completely out of, out of luck. At a minimum, I think the argument, if, if 8.2 said exclusive, then I think bodybuilding would be that'd be the best case for bodybuilding mm -hmm. i think they'd be able to argue not only do we have the right to use this thing for free around the world it's exclusive and there's some case law and argument to be made that it's exclusive even with respect to supporting phd like they can't even use it really so literally you own it and that's it you can't use it you can collect royalties on it normally although in this case you couldn't so it's but the fact that it isn't in there uh -huh. but it is in 3.3 Again, like general contract law 101, it, you know, if they put it in one place and didn't put it in another place, they meant to not put it in the other place. And so it's really not supposed to be exclusive, in which case you could have a situation where you could have dual companies selling the same brand. Wow. Okay. So let's say this did go to court. You've been, so you've like litigated cases, not like this, but you've litigated cases actually in court in front of a judge and everything, right? Yes. So, like, how long would we spend arguing about this? If I was Stepani's lawyer and you were Bodybuilding.com's lawyer, like, what's the, how does it, how does it work in court? Is it like the TV shows? And kind of give me a little. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, and I mean, I guess the first response is, and you mentioned this before, is would it even go to court? I mean, truthfully, it pro this will probably settle. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I even though the amounts of money that are being thrown around as potential damages are high, I mean. To prove those types of damages, I mean, you're looking at attorney's fees of you know maybe a million dollars. Oh wow! Okay, it could get it could get expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and these are and this is a big case. Like, there's a lot of if you look at the pleadings, there's a lot of like ancillary claims or you know there it isn't just a straight up trademark infringement done. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a lot of secondary claims. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of facts. You know, there's going to be a I mean, there's potentially going to be a lot of depositions of witnesses and those witnesses would then probably appear at, court, at trial um i mean could be weak i mean could be could be longer could be shorter i mean but a trial on this could get ugly just because it's very fact intensive i mean mm -hmm. and part of that too is like i said before intent um you know those types of of arguments revolve around what people were thinking at the time. So, I mean, you've, you're talking about, you could have Jim Stepani on the stand for a day or two talking about the beginning of this thing and who said what and wh what the agreements were and why he would have agreed to something. And, and then you can have people from bodybuilding.com sitting there and saying the exact opposite thing. So, I mean, it's, there's, a, there's definitely a lot of 
issues here. You know, it's the the contract itself isn't very clear. So I mean, mm-hmm. you're gonna be you're gonna have lawyers parsing through the contract in front of potentially in front of a jury, mm-hmm. uh, trying to c- convince them that certain sections matter, certain sections don't. I mean, it it's it it could be ugly, and I think that's partly why I wouldn't be surprised. I mean. It's an easy guess for me to say that it's going to settle because, like, ninety-five percent of cases settle. Right. That's how it goes. So. Yeah, it seems like it, the further this one's gotten along, it, it seems like there's a lot of stubborn heads involved. And I'm not just saying Stepani. Like, yeah. Everyone, and let's be honest, the supplement industry, which you're, you know, a little bit familiar with, I'm a lot familiar with. We're a lot of stubborn oxhead, you know, guys. <laughs> and this is yeah. and <laughs> that those, is the industry. Those are the kind of cases that do go to trial. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I mean, the, the, of the, I mean, uh, my trial experience is actually limited to, to patent cases. Right. Okay. Not actually tried a full trademark case because they've all settled. Um, but in the patent cases, the ones that have gone to trial, you know, we were in, I was in Arizona for two and a half weeks at, at trial for almost two weeks. Mm-hmm. And it was because the, it wasn't really, it didn't make a ton of sense monetarily. I mean, you had parties squeaking out to make money on it after attorney's fees and everything else. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was, they felt like they were in the right and by God, they were going to get their day in court. So, I mean, that's again, getting back to the fact that because this agreement is so vague, Mm -hmm. I think both parties have decent arguments as to who owns these things or who's licensed. And so that's another recipe for maybe a long drawn out case. Wow. Know? And so if it did go to court, you're saying it would be a jury trial or would it be like, how does uh, that? It's up to the parties. I actually, I think I don't have the complaint with me. It, it'll say on the complaint. If okay. I was requested if, as long as one party requests it. Let me pull it up. The man yeah, for jury. Amended one yeah. So it would be, it would be a jury trial if it got that far. I mean, there'll be, I mean, there's already, so there's already motions to dismiss floating around. Um, there's a motion for preliminary injunction uh, that Stepani filed. So Can you explain to the readers what that means? Or yeah, to the viewers? So, uh, so preliminary injunction, so, so there's damages, there's money damages. That's one remedy that you can get for any type of IP infringement, trademarks, mm-hmm. copyrights, patents. And that's typically, you know, the standard kind of way to understand damages is on the one hand is to, to make the aggrieved party whole. So I'm, I own this IP, you infringed it. Had you not infringed it, I would have made X amount. Therefore you owe me X amount. That's kind of baseline damages. Mm-hmm. You can also get things like disgorgement of profits, which is a little more punitive. That would be, I own this IP, you infringed it. In order to punish you for your infringement, you owe me all of your profits, mm-hmm. even more than the profits I might have made. That's oh. a lot harder to get. It's mm-hmm. generally a bigger amount of money. Um, that's available too. But aside from damages, there's injunction. And an injunction is a court order to the infringer mm-hmm. telling them to stop what they're doing. Right. And it has to be pretty detailed. That, you know, it's say you can't make, make users sell any products that have a mark that's similar to these marks or these designs or things like that. And it, it would apply to that party and any related parties, things like that. And that's that's typically what a trademark case is about. It's about, mm-hmm. hey, I have this mark. I need you to stop, and you stop. And that's that's standard. That's pretty right. standard. Yeah. This, this is less so. So so in this case, you can have an injunction at the end of the case as a re- after after liability is determined. The court 
as a whole judge and jury decide that somebody infringed, how do we fix how do we fix this? Oh, an injunction. You can also have a preliminary injunction at the very beginning of the case. And that's what Stepani PhD, that's what they filed for here was a preliminary injunction at the very beginning of the case to and it's basically to preserve the status quo. It's basically the argument is basically look, we can't let this continue during the during the pendency of the case because I'm I'm being damaged by the mere by the mere fact that they are continuing to do this and and I will never be able to be made fully whole for that and so you the court should should stop them right now hold everything the way it is and then if I lose you can remove the injunction if I win then all the better but so that didn't happen that hasn't happened well the motion's been filed but it, it's I think I think it's fully briefed, but the court hasn't ruled on it yet. Gotcha. And that would, would that be a judge who rules on that kind of thing? Yeah. So, and that's what I was going to say. So, yes, ultimately this could be decided by a jury, but it could also be decided by the judge much earlier. I mean, you've got motions to dismiss, which are, in this case, are directed to specific pieces of the case, like dismiss this counterclaim, or but that can be dismissed the case completely. In this case, it's not. You've got motions for preliminary injunction, um, which is kind of a, like a mini it's a good way to get a peek at what a judge wants to do mm -hmm. sometimes because part of the, the test for preliminary injunction is your likelihood of success on the merits. So you're kind of saying to the judge, look, we haven't done all of our discovery and we haven't fleshed all this stuff out, but we think we've got a good chance of winning. And so you should stop them now. And you can get kind of a read on the, a little bit of a read at least something. Mm -hmm. Interesting. What the judge might do in the long term. So that's, so you, we could get a ruling on the preliminary injunction that might go a certain way and convince the parties to, to, to settle the thing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's motions for summary judgment once uh, all the evidence gathering is done. So that's so at the beginning of the case, you can kind of move to stop the case based on the pleadings, just mm -hmm. the stuff that's, you know, the answers, counterclaims, which is all pretty bare bones stuff. There's not a ton of juicy stuff, although actually there's more here than usual. Um, after evidence, so after exchange of documents, after um, depositions, things like that, uh, the parties can kind of, so discovery ends and then there's a period where the parties can file uh, these bigger motions, motions for summary judgment that say, okay, judge, here's all the facts now and what we argued before. Now, please find for us. We don't even need to go to the jury. It's mm -hmm. obvious. It's very clear that we win here. And I mean, that's pretty standard and I'm sure that will happen here. And you can win there too. And, or you can get a ruling that is close enough to a win that again it forces settlement. So, I, so I think there's there's a, there's always lots of stopping points. I think it looks like the parties are ready to brief lots of stuff. I mean, there's going to be a lot of discovery, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's there's a lot that can happen between now and a jury trial that will still be interesting and and could change the complexion quite a bit. Gotcha. Okay, so we'll have to keep up to speed. It's like. Uh... <laughs> I'm almost in too deep at this point. I can't stop updating the case. So maybe at some point we might need to have you back or whatever if yeah. things blow open or blow closed or whatever. Um, yeah. I, I never really <laughs> wanted this job of reporting on this, but it's we're too we're in too deep, like I said. So uh, I appreciate that because I, I really didn't know all that procedural stuff. You know, obviously not being a, a lawyer like yourself. Um, <laughs> that's incredible. So if it did go to a jury trial and a jury. Would, would it be like black and white? Like jury says, bodyblind.com wins. You guys can't do anything and they can do everything. Or is there like kind of, can there be a mixed kind of judgment from the jury? Like how does a jury actually decide something? It, yeah, it can be. Um, I mean, a lot, a lot would depend on what happens between now and then. Mm -hmm. I mean, some 
claims could fall out. I mean, parties may dis just dismiss certain. So in a complaint, there can be multiple claims. Right. And there's be a claim for trademark infringement, a claim for, uh, you know, false advertising, a claim for, um, uh, you know, consumer confusion. Well, I guess not consumer confusion, but they're, they're, you know, Lanham Act, uh, uh, unfair competition, mm -hmm. and they all have kind of similar elements, but they're all technically different claims. Um, potentially, some of those could fall out during the course of the case. Mm -hmm. When it so, and and depending on what's left over, that you're going to have the jury deciding each claim. But even within each claim, like we talked about, there's there's no good definition of what the marks are right now. Right, back to the, the whole point. All right. So get back to, are we, you know, you could have the court, you could have the jury ruling that, uh, you know, Stepani owns JYM, the word mark, mm -hmm. and JYM, the logo, but that he doesn't own the, you know, design of the packaging. And and and, and in which case you'd, you'd have a situation where, you know, basically uh, bodybuilding could use the, the same packaging with a different word. Um, it, they could the jury a jury could easily split the baby and even the judge could too could easily split the baby on the, on the different marks on which marks were jointly developed versus not I mean it's, okay it can get ugly wow and so split <laughs> split the baby is that a lawyer lingo over there yeah yeah that's, uh, <laughs> nice one other thing you've brought up the word common law a bunch yeah. so can you quickly describe like what that means in this context yeah, yeah so, so like I said tra trademarks are kind of this weird beast where so so patent law patent law is federal mm -hmm. there are there are no common law or state law patents if you invent something and you want protection you have to file a u.s for a u.s patent you have to go through the u.s patent and trademark office you have to get your u.s patent registration and that's what you use to sue people for patent infringement that's the only way to do it trademark law is much older in a sense uh, it's it's and it's developed for a different reason patents developed because they wanted to encourage people to invent things by giving them limited the inventors mm -hmm. limited monopoly on that invention you know you came up with something cool here's your patent you can stop other people from doing this thing for set it's 17 years or 20 years depending on the timing mm -hmm. limited monopoly and then after that anybody can do it mm -hmm. that's that's patent trademarks arose out of a consumer protection reasoning. It's to protect the end, end user so that they know that I'm buying this product, you know, I'm buying Coca-Cola, I know that I'm getting Coca-Cola right. from Coca-Cola, from the company, mm -hmm. from a certain source. Um, and that's older than patent law. That's, that's consumer protection concerns, that stuff's ancient. And, and so there's this whole body of law that arose from consumer protection and that's why you know, throwing out like unfair competition and 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 things like that. There's this whole body of law around false identification of source that's arose from state to state, uh, and it differs a little bit from state to state. But it ultimately addresses this issue of, hey, what you're doing is confusing to consumers, and therefore you shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. On top of that is federal trademark law, which is basically an attempt to like standardize that so rules are more similar across the board mm -hmm. uh, but it's the, still the same concept it's protecting consumers from being confused as to where a product came from so you can have a common law trademark you can have a, a federal trademark you can use either one to sue someone 
technically even more. We just hang on. You can have a federal registered trademark. You can have a federal unregistered trademark because you lose me. Okay, we're breaking up a little bit. Okay, I just quick so you could have. It's all about use. If you use it across state lines in interstate commerce, it's called. That's that gives you federal rights or starts to give you federal rights. If you don't register it, you still have some federal rights. And by that, I mean you can sue people in federal court under federal statutes, federal laws. Um, state law rights arise from use even within a very small geographic area, like a, just a restaurant that serves right. a little, something like that. So that's it's just choosing which laws you're using. And, and so whether you're looking at it like state laws, like in this case, they're in Idaho. So they're, they're like the contract is being interpreted according to Idaho contract. Gotcha. Law. Okay. Whereas the, the, some of the trademarks claims are federal trademark registrations, so that's federal trademark law. Some of them are also based on Idaho trademark law or Idaho consumer protection law. So there's, there's all kinds of levels. And that's yeah, what I said. I see. Okay. Wow. Um, <laughs> so that's a lot of talking you just did there. I, I really, really appreciate it. I, um, I, I find this stuff fascinating, I guess. Uh, Me too. I'm kind of so happy I'm not in your world, but, <laughs> but it's a, uh, it's, good to see those you seem to really love it so it's good to see yeah. that at least um so yeah we're gonna have to keep this one up to date but yeah I, I find that i find that this is really helpful and kind of shows that there really are two sides of the story because everyone online ourselves included kind of just showing like bodybuilding.com bodybuilding.com but there's this other side now yeah. um what i have to say to the users though is if you look at this development agreement and some of the other affidavits now this has nothing to do with the court case really this is just interesting as hell um, you're gonna start seeing how much money PhD Fitness and Jim Stepani were getting paid for each tub. And if you start doing the math, you will see that Stepani and PhD Fitness, I'm not sure how much of PhD Fitness Stepani owns, but let's say PhD Fitness seems to have made over the course of, of these three years, nearly $12 million on this stuff. And we're not talking about cost of goods sold. We're not talking about having to stock inventory. We're talking about him getting, uh, them getting nearly, you know, but somewhere between like a, probably 11 and $12 million for doing what he does, you know, producing content and being, uh, you know, the quote unquote celebrity and possibly the developer of this, of these products. So that's the, that's a huge amount of money for anyone to make. And Stepani's obviously uh, earned a lot of that because of his, uh, the amount of time that he spent in the industry and becoming, uh, becoming the figure that he was and having such a huge following. But I just think once I started doing the multiplication, you're seeing uh, Vitagym, $5 per unit being sold. Basically he was like, it was kind of treated like a, a power affiliate, but he was getting a cut of every single sale. And this development agreement blows open just about how much was made. Um, so it's mostly like $5 per bottle, except for I think on Pro Gym, which was, uh, the Gym Protein supplement was $4 because protein is typically lower margin, but wow. So Pro Gym and Pre Gym being the two highest sellers, you know that it's gonna land somewhere between four and $5 per unit sold. Doing the math, uh, I think it's just fascinating. So we're gonna have some links to that and uh, a lot of money's on the line and that's why, that's why we are where we are. And so, um, I had to throw that in because it's that's just the crazy part of this. Um, yeah. So other than that, uh, let's say that you, uh, let's say that I am a, a supplement brand, I'm creating a supplement, and I think it's gonna be the next big thing. I have a, a unique name, what do I do next? Do I contact you and be like, hey, Nick, I need a trademark, I wanna, I, you, you know, what, what would I do next? Um, well, 
first and foremost, if you're working with somebody else, get a better JDA, get a really good JDA. <laughs> From me or another IP attorney, preferably. Um, I think if you're if you're to the point where you've already got your kind of got your idea, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times we get calls like that where it's, hey, I've got this mark, I'm, I've got this product, I'm ready to go, help me register this mark. Mm -hmm. And frankly, it'd be better to get an IP attorney involved earlier. Really? At a minimum, do a little research on your own, frankly. Mm -hmm. I tell a lot of people, you know, throw it in Google at a minimum because like we said before, use, the key here is always use. Mm -hmm. and, and if somebody's already using your mark or something like your mark mm -hmm. or your product, something like your product, then you're not gonna be able to stop them, number one. And number two, they're gonna be able to stop you. So, you know, I've had situations where somebody came to me and was like, I'm launching this product in two weeks, mm -hmm. get me a federal registration. And I, before I even file the application, I look and it's like, somebody already has this registered. You got a hand. I mean, you can't, you certainly can't file for this federal trademark registration. And frankly, you need to rethink this. So I think first step is when, even when you're, you know, spitballing, coming up with cool ideas, right. names, first of all, make sure you're not using existing trademarks as inspiration too much. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you can look for ideas, but you don't want to be too close. I mean, trademark infringement doesn't require copying the mark. You can just be close. Um, have have an IP attorney preferably run a search. I mean, most most firms, most attorneys will run at least at least like a basic knockout search at the PTO for a couple hundred bucks. Okay. And just to be able to tell you, hey, look, this is a bad idea. Right. You know, you can also if if you're a big supplement company and you're investing a lot of money in it, you can have bigger searches run, worldwide searches run, uh, to make sure that you don't run into this issue in other countries because. Okay. Every country has its own trademark mm -hmm. laws, rules, registrations, um, but you can. There are ways to search all of them. Is your firm um, able to do that? Is that something you yeah, guys do? Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, that's. I think the first step is just really to clear it. It's called a clearance search. Okay. Or a clearance search. Um, once you do that, whether or not to file for a registration is not actually as big of a deal. Um, the key then is to start using it. Uh, you, you know, use is use is really important. I mean the. The U.S. has this unique, uh, fairly unique. You can actually file for a trademark registration in the U.S. without using it. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a special application called an intent to use application, mm -hmm. and that kind of like holds your place in line. But you still ultimately have to use it, or you won't be able to get a registration. So, you know, I tell people sometimes if you're if you're really small, you're just starting out, and you've only got, you know, a small amount of money, and it's either file for trademark registration or make my first batch of product and go sell it. Mm -hmm. I say make your first batch of product and go sell it. Maybe use those profits then some of those profits then to file for your trademark registration. Right. Because because that day you started using it is the day you, now you've you've locked in that that that's your date of first use. Assuming that you've already kind of cleared that no one else is Assuming using you it. Cleared it. Right, exactly. Because if you don't clear it and you go use it, now you might be infringing somebody else's mark, and that's not good. Now, what if it's in a different uh, a different market? Like, let's say, uh, you know, Price Plow is trademarked, but uh, I actually forget what I trademarked it for. I probably should know, but either internet or supplements. Um, but what if someone out there in Ohio was uh, had a, a snowplow company? They say, you know, it was, it was Joe Price's plow company, and he he decided to make Price Plow his snowplow company. Would I be able to go after him for that? Completely different industry, different you know, area. That's easy. Easy answer. There's no you. Uh, price plow. Totally different industries. 
uh, you'd have a pretty hard time. Okay. Unless. Always a caveat, right? I'm a lawyer. Uh, Hang on, I'm sorry. You unless, just broke. Up, you just broke up that last sentence. Oh no. I was just gonna say, you know, uh, oh, there's always a caveat. I mean, I'm a lawyer, but <laughs> yeah. in the case where your if your mark was famous, like McDonald's, right? Uh, then you can stop people from doing it. I mean, I think McDonald's. The famous case is they stopped somebody from selling McBiodiesel, like fuel, mm -hmm. totally unrelated to to food, restaurant, fast food services. But because their mark's so famous. The art, it's this whole other line of cases about, it's called dilution. But it's mm -hmm. typically your, your standard company, if it's a totally unrelated industry, there's not much you can do. Um, again, because there's no, and there, it boils down to, there's no chance that consumers are gonna be confused as to source. Nobody's gonna think that you, the the supplement computer guy, also run a snowplow business. Right. <laughs> okay. So in that situation, you, there really be no risk of confusion and therefore there's no trademark. Because trademark infringement boils down to the likelihood of confusion. Gotcha. That's the, that's the test, what it comes down to. On the other hand, if somebody's doing something close, I mean, you've got price plow, I, didn't, I haven't looked it up, but you've got price plow probably for like online supplements, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. If somebody made a supplement and called it price plow, you probably would have an argument. Right, gotcha. If somebody made an online price comparator for not supplements, mm -hmm. and I don't even know what, yard waste, right. you, you, you might still have an issue because you're both online, you're both doing price comparing. So the, the closer they get to you, the, the easier it is for you to stop them. That's kind of the general. Right, registry. okay. And, have, and having a federal trademark registration helps on that end. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, that it's nationwide notice of your mark, so you don't have to worry about them um, whether or not they knew about you, uh, it gets you into federal court. So I do think, you know, on, on the one hand, I said, if you've got a little bit of money and you're deciding between your first batch of product and a federal trademark registration, mm -hmm. make your product. But I do think eventually you do want to do a federal trademark registration because it gets, it gets you out there. It gets you nationwide notice. It, uh, you know, gives you, it gives you something to put in a letter to that person down the line. Um, so that's, those, those are kind of the thoughts. I mean, and this is all stuff that, Hopefully, if you call a good IP attorney, that they're going to tell you about upfront. Um, you know, and I mean, I know we don't typically charge for like a, a first consultation and stuff like that. I mean, this is cool. all just basic info. So. Yeah, being in Cleveland, Ohio, you're you're a little cheaper than the New York and LA and Chicago <laughs> firms, I'm guessing. Yeah, we can get away with it here. Awesome, so, <laughs> nice. Um, so I, I guess we're gonna close out. I guess am I able to add your your domain to the watermark of this image of this video? Like, yeah. I'm gonna have Pricelaw.com down there. Okay, yeah. and so what is what is the website? It's www.rennerauto.com. R e n n e r o t t o. T o. Okay, yep. we'll have it. Uh, we'll have it in the watermark down there. And uh, so, Nick, I, I really appreciate your time. This has been very informative. That's why I was asking some extra questions because uh, I think it's good to know. A, a lot of our our viewers are. Um, supplement creators and the stuff they should know. So uh, we'll make a link to your website and everything if they have more questions. And we might need to pull you in if there's a, any of these, if this case gets a, you know, moves along to, to a big point, or if, uh, you know, if there's another patent case or some patent stuff that you did want to speak on, we could also talk about that. So, okay. Well, uh, thanks again for your time. Stay on the line. I'm going to close off this video here. And uh, once again, you can check out pricefall.com and blog.pricefall.com for the latest news on this. And we will have links to uh, all these agreements that we have and to the blog posts in the uh, description of this video. So thank you so much for watching, everyone. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Welcome to Pricefall.